Welcome to Hacker in the Fed. This week, we have our very first guest, former Black Hat and LulSec member Cody Kretzinger. Hector and Cody go back nearly 20 years to the earliest days of online hacking. We cover a lot today, from hacking origin stories to life after federal prison. Thanks for listening. Hector Monsegar was responsible for some of the most notorious hacks. Former FBI Special Agent Chris Tarbell. Hackett and FBI informants participated in some of the world's most infamous hacks. It caused up to $50 million in damages. A life in the shadows. Cyber attacks on the rise. Welcome to Hacker in the Fed. I'm Chris Tarbell, former FBI special agent, working my entire career in cybersecurity, and now founding partner in Naxo. I'm joined by Hector Monsegur, friend and podcast co-host, former black hat hacker who once faced 125 years for the large number of systems he had the skill set to hack into. Now red teamer, researcher, and cybersecurity expert. Hector, how are you? I'm doing well, my friend. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm super excited. We have a guest this week on Hacker in the Fed, Cody Kretzinger. Does that name sound familiar to you? Oh, it sounds very familiar, yeah. Yeah, I think you may have known him by a different name back in the day. You uh, interacted him as Recursion from Lulsec. So pretty excited to have him on and talk about some of the stuff in our past. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, the, the cool thing about Recursion here is that similar to my story, you know, he had to deal with the consequences of his actions, but he came through, he turned it around. And now he's a security expert, he's a security researcher, and now also a former Black Hat. So it's fantastic. Exciting. Let's get into talking with Cody. Cody, if you just want to introduce yourself, is probably the, the best part to start to just talk about uh, who you are, who you were, and uh, whatever you want to include about yourself. Sure. So um, I, 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 I think... Uh, to, to start, see how I want to approach this one. Um, man, it's, it's really difficult. Where, where do I start? So um, Cody Kretzinger, security researcher, and uh, help providing adversarial tactics to software that is uh, automating pen testing at this point. So that's more or less what I do right now. Sounds a little scary. Sounds a little uh, nebulous. Uh, is it fun? Do you enjoy that sort of work? Yeah. So, I mean, we take, um, we take you know, what the ATPs are doing and kind of morphing that and putting it uh, kind of through an automated process. So it's, uh, it's, it's really cool because you can, you can take different components of what real threat actors are doing and kind of string along new behaviors in order to basically get around what a lot of the manufacturers are, are, are detecting based on behaviors. Like our product helps MSPs and MSSPs um, secure themselves and their, their clients. But that all being said, most of the interactions that I've had since getting out of prison has been with MSPs. So I, I started actually the, the owner of the company took a huge chance on hiring a felon, right? Let's be honest. And then I had to work my way up from help desk, hell desk, really, uh, and back into security. That sounds great. I mean, can you kind of make it, can you kind of maybe dumb it down a little bit for me? Maybe I'm not understanding exactly what your day-to-day operations look like. Sure. So typically there are some tactics and 
procedures that bad guys typically use. They've got a like a run book or they use particular types of software. For example, like uh, the Chinese use chopper shells, for instance, in terms of what they do once they compromise a host. And based on their playbook, we might take a little from column A from like a Chinese threat actor or bad guy and a little column from column B from like a like a Russian threat actor. And we'll mix and match and create a new attack playbook based on kind of what the bad guys are doing. So it's just sort of building like their, their modus operandi in, in my terms, uh, in law enforcement and looking for bad guys. Um, we find out a way a guy, a bad guy is doing something. We call it their modus operandi. Um, and sometimes you can find the bad guy by that, by looking for other patterns. Sometimes it's misleading. Uh, I know there was an example for Hector, at least. Uh, he was accused of something that he didn't do. Um, and all they had was it kind of followed what they thought his 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 playbook looked like. Do you remember that one, Hector? Yeah, yeah. So the 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 folks that were investigating that case, they knew that um, I had an interest in using out of bounds transports or protocols that um, that you know weren't necessarily used at that time. For example, in a lot of the cases they were looking at, they probably would see like a a, a reverse shell, plain text reverse shell, maybe you know encrypted, but you know, there was some word uh, that I, I would use things like uh, DNS, for example. Just to give you an example, uh, the idea was: well, if Hector uses DNS tunneling, then you know maybe we could tie him to these other hacks that use DNS tunneling. And so, you know, there therein uh, became a problem, or that became a problem because attribution for something like that is just so uh, so broad. Tunneling of different protocols is not new. It's been done since the 80s, right? So it, it was interesting to see, uh, and Cody, this was, this was a fun one. It was interesting to see, you know, all the work they did and all the, uh, you know, like the incident response work and the investigation and so on. And I got to see it and I'm like, yeah, that's that's very cool. But I'm sorry, guys, it's not me. So when you guys were hacking, did you guys ever try to change your, what I call your modus operandi, your MO, to make it not look like things you've done historically or to make it look like another known hacker in the way they do things? Well, that's a great question. Depends on what era for me. When I was a neophyte, when I was a freaking noob, <laughs> I didn't really care. I tried to create a methodology very early on that was effective, but I would actually learn techniques or TDPs, like Cody mentioned earlier, techniques, tactics, procedures, and, and different you know, ways of doing things from other folks within the community. That's early on. But as I, as I got older and I got more experienced, my emphasis was more on fast-paced intrusions so that I could gain as much access as possible to, on that initial entry and then take control of logging servers. Because at that point, it doesn't, it doesn't even fucking matter. If you control the logs, it doesn't really matter, you know, how you operate. But that was back then. That was back in 2010. Things have changed to a point where everything is being logged. Um, and Cody, you know, how do you feel about that question? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I, I mean, I, I was very fast-paced, didn't care, didn't care if somebody managed to, to kind of um, find my standard way of doing things. When, when I first started... There was that initial, like, oh my God, I'm able to do this and I'm going to get caught. And then the more you did it, you, you realized the more people just either didn't 
know or didn't care that something got compromised. So you just became louder and louder and did more and more. But the idea is you were kind of a, a bull in a China shop, or I was a bull in, in, a, in a China shop, where I just break through, get what I needed to get and, and get out. And if, if that was the, if I had like a kind of a standard way of doing it, I, I did it almost the same way every single time. You two knew each other from the past, right? Uh, who's Hector? <laughs> oh, that's true. So, so Hector Monsegur, you may not know this, Cody. He at one point in his life was a guy named Sabu online. Oh, and uh, Cody, I think you went by a different name too at one point. I, th- I think it was Recursion. Uh, I, I ran into a Sabu before, so I, I'm incredibly, incredibly excited to meet you, Hector, for the first official time, and I'm glad that it's being recorded. Yeah, likewise. It, it's it's weird to put it that way, but you're 100% right. When we knew each other, it was, it was essentially two personas, right? But now, you know, we're actually, uh, you know, we're the two guys behind the personas. I think it's fantastic, and I'm, and I'm glad that we made it to this point in our lives, for sure. So when... I'm I'm curious. Um, I know you've talked about it a little bit on your podcast before, um, but just for the sake of my interest, like where did, like I know where I got started. Like every, I think everybody's got an origin story, and and Chris, I'm really interested in yours as well. But like my origin story was, I played a game called Uplink, and Uplink is this hacking simulation game where you you have to hack into systems, copy or delete data or sell data or hack banks. Like there's a a bunch of other things, but it opened my eyes in terms of what people are capable of doing, at least in the security sense, you know, from a game perspective. Right. And that opened my eyes in terms of like this, this thing exists out there. I was kind of already fascinated with computers I, I got into like IRC servers shortly afterwards and then into like more forums and, and, and whatnot. And then that kind of launched me down kind of into the kind of the hacking scene where like Napster was still a thing back when I was still kind of kicking the tires, if you will, and ran with a couple of quote unquote hacking game gangs that would leverage the back end IRC servers for Napster and like flood channels and all sorts of goofiness there. Uh, but that that's kind of, I would say that's the precursor to, I think before I actually met you, Hector, I'm, I'm interested, Chris and, 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 and Hector, what your guys' origin stories were. Mine is, I, I'm not sure, you know, how to take my stories. I'm just going to throw it out there. But back in the uh, back in the nineties, when I was uh, you know becoming a teenager, I had lost my family to, to it was essentially the war on drugs. They became involved in drugs, uh, selling it, and um, you know we had a mayor over here by the name of Giuliani. He was a uh, very hard on, on different communities. Uh, my community in particular went down. Like, I mean, we're talking about mass raids across entire uh, project buildings, uh, Cody. Um, it was to the point that you had enemies sitting together in cells, part of the same conspiracy cases. But, you know, I lost my family. Uh, my father, my aunt, and my grandmother all went to Rikers Island that same day. Um, this was this was actually, you know, ironically, Chris, I know we, we talked about June 7th the, uh, a couple of days ago, but it was in June, uh, I believe, of like 1995 uh, or 96 when, uh, you know, when that all went down. But before that went down and my family, you know, kind of went away, I was really inspired by war games. 
I, I, I hate to be that guy because, you know, you hear a lot of people say stuff like that. But War Games was, so, was such a cool fucking movie to me that I thought, you know, wow, what exactly is this guy doing? Well, I, I found out with some searches online. Uh, this is this is pre-Google, by the way. We had to use Alta Vista or Excite or something. But I found out that he was used, he was basically doing work dialing. And um, and then I got into the rabbit hole of, well, what's the point of war dialing? And then I got into the rabbit hole of, of you know, of freaking. Uh, and for those of you that in the audience that don't know what freaking is, uh, kind of a precursor to what we what you may know as hacking. But the uh, the vector really is you know, the phone systems. But then, you know what I found out, Cody? And that is that although freaking sounded very cool, by the time I got on the internet, you know, New York, uh, 9X, the phone systems had already become digitized. So a lot of the cool stuff that guys were doing back in the days uh, was no longer possible. So I learned about um, uh, a group of guys called the Masters of Deception. And, and mind you, I'm already on IRC, right? I'm, I'm on AOL. I'm on that whole AOL scene. There was a whole big AOL hacking scene back in the days, by the way. I'm not sure you guys knew that. A lot of them were noobs and neophytes. They were, I guess we were all learning at the same time. But it led me to IRC, specifically to FNet, one of the worst places you could go to. Oh, my goodness. As a complete, as a complete noob, I'm over here in FNet dealing with all these crazy people. Um, but anyways, now I'm on FNet. Now I'm doing research. Now I'm asking questions. I'm meeting folks. I'm going into channels. I'm listening to conversations. And back in those days, the phone conferences were still very big. You guys remember that? Hopping on phone conferences? Yes. Um, like party lines. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so Chris, basically, these, these guys would put, like, party line numbers on the, on, on, in a channel, and you just call in. And it's complete, like, chaos. But you would sometimes run into a party line where you have some, some straight-up, you know, nerds just nerding it out, talking about Unix and FreeBSD and so on. And so all those little tiny stories, right, everything I've mentioned so far, kind of led up to my interest in security. And, of course, hackers in 95 and the net in 96 didn't help me at all. Reading the mentor, you know, the Hacker's Manifesto, The Conscience of a Hacker, that really helped me make the decision that I wanted to be a hacker, whatever that meant. Now, the next stage for me was just now to find his e-zines and text files. You could, By the way, uh, folks, you can find a lot of this content on textfiles.com. These things still exist. And by reading text files, now I started learning different concepts. I learned about API. I learned about Unix and how to run different commands. But it wasn't until I hacked my first machine using slash CGI bin slash PHF that, you know, I was able to actually interact with a Unix system and then kind of move into, you know, where I'm at today. So that's kind of my origin story. Um, you know, I was basically escaping from real life, you know. You mentioned the Hacker's Manifesto, and I was a young angsty teen, as I think we all were. And I vividly remember coming up to my my eighth grade teacher and saying, can I read this in class? Because everybody needed to read something like, I don't know, maybe the last semester in, in eighth grade or whatever. And uh, I believe it uses the word shit in there. And I thought, can I, can I say this? You know, you're young enough. You want to clear it with your, your teacher. And he, he didn't care. But I remember actually giving that speech to everybody and sitting back down thinking I was, I was like some sort of elite 
you know, security guy now <laughs> because everybody in the class thought I was a, was this thing. And I was nothing but a, like a script kitty comparatively. Right. Um, and it's, it's funny. You, you, you mentioned the hackers manifesto because it actually resonated with me um, w- when I was very young for, for a different reason. And then now even more so. So Cody, when did it switch from playing like the video game sim world of hacking to actually really fingers on the keyboard? I'm going to break into somebody else's computer. So I, I ran with a couple of a couple of different groups. I kind of mentioned the the Napster group, and then that led me into a different group. That's where I kind of refined, basically going from sub seven, which was a an absolute, you know, it, which was just a, a packaged software that allowed anybody to remotely gain access to a computer uh, sub seven. Um, that's where I learned to go from using utility like sub seven to actually using utility like Metasploit framework, for example. So more of a framework in, in how to, how to do things. Uh, I was pretty, I was pretty young. Uh, it would have been 14, 15, somewhere in there. And it was, it was purely that happened purely because the group of people I was hanging out with on a, on a pretty regular basis online, they were also experimenting with this and one of them would learn something and, and, and show. Um, so I think a little bit different than, than kind of what you had Hector, but ours, our group, or at least, at least that particular group, somebody would find something and then tell the group and then make sure that everybody understood how that works. Uh, and, and so that way they could go out and, and do it. And we would just compare who we managed to, 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 to pop or gain access to. It was almost like fishing for us. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting because we definitely had a different path because I, I, I was, I was more of a loner. I'll be honest with you. Right. I didn't, I didn't start to get, become involved with groups until I had skills. I don't know. I, I just felt weird. You know, like I felt like I, I didn't, I, I didn't. Well, first off, um, I was, I was angry, you know, I was dealing with personal life things. And so interacting with people online really wasn't my, was not my forte, especially um, like building rapport with a group. It wasn't until after like, I learned a specific set of skills that I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to try to link up with, with a, with a group. What I ended up realizing is that I guess it made more sense for me to kind of build my own group. So back in the late 90s, we ended up creating Pure Elite. Um, oh, I know that name. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up creating Pure Elite back in the late 90s. And I started to recruit folks that I would meet on IRC, right? And eventually, it became kind of a thing. And you know what's funny, Cody? You know, I still speak to a lot of those guys to this day. Well, some of those guys. And, you know, it's, it's been a lifelong journey, really. You're talking about the OG Pure Elite guys, right? Yeah, this is, this is, this is 10 years before LawSec, you know what I mean? Gotcha. Um, but we're talking about the OG guys that, you know, they, they're still around. They still, they still hit me up. And so that was the only way I could really, really enjoy myself as part of a group. I mean, I, I, did, I did, you know, partake with, you know, uh, Hackweiser and Fear the Beer for a little while. But once their leader left, which is Pantera, once he left, I kind of said, eh, I don't really like these guys. I'm going to move on. Um, but it's it's very cool that you kind of, like, early on, you had a group to kind of chill with, kind of share knowledge. Like, that's that's really dope. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. That's, a, like, we all had a kind of a similar interest. We wanted to figure out 
how this worked, but nobody knew how. And we thought, man, if we can, <laughs> such a kid mindset, if we can, if we can hack into all these systems um, and get a botnet, then we can, we can raid Fnet or any of these other IRC channels or, or maybe it's a, do you remember when uh, browser search bars had like affiliate programs and you could get like 99 <laughs> cents per installation? Oh yeah. So like, <laughs> like stuff like that. I mean, we were thinking, man, we can be rich if we can only, you know, use our affiliate program and get paid to our bank accounts. Surely no one will detect us or find us if we do that. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's funny Like that. That was that was the move. Right. You know what I, I what I ended up doing to make some money early on. And, and I kind of gave it up soon after. Like I, I, I kind of left hacking for financial purpose or interest kind of alone. But the first thing I tried, I started. <laughs> it's kind of a silly story. So bear with me. Right. The first time I got any real money from hacking was. Remember back in the days you had the top sites? You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, you would go to, like, I want to see the top 50 wearer sites. And you had like a thousand of those sites. Um, they had a ton of wearer sites. Uh, like, it, it was such a massive thing. But, anyways, here's what I ended up doing I started finding vulnerabilities in those top sites because they were mostly written in Perl, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them were in the Perl and early PHP, which you know security-wise, was bad. And so I started identifying vulnerabilities, compromising those systems, and then changing the top site redirection link to my, like, a porn affiliate site. And, dude, my links were getting hit, bro. Um, like, I started getting some crazy checks until I got a letter from the from the porn affiliate company. And they're like, ah, we know what you're doing, so we're going to let you keep the first four checks. Um, but we're banning you all for our network. And after that, I was like, ah, I'm not doing this again because the letter came to my house. I had to get paid, right? Right. So then I made the realization, like, wow, I really put myself in a bad place because these guys could have called the feds on me. So yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I got into it. It's funny that you, you, you guys are screwing around with, like, the toolbars. I remember that. Like, the Bonsai fucking, what was that? The Bonsai... Uh, bonsai Buddy. Yeah, Bonsai Buddy. And it was, like, the chick that, you know, in the corner of the screen, she's like, twerking like yo there was a lot (laughs) that was a whole different scene it it was and i think that's kind of timing a little bit different in terms of what was going on um i I was a little bit after you but when i was younger it was it was you know you wanted to you wanted to monetize whatever you're doing to a certain degree but i don't think any of us managed to consider for a split second that if we're we're compromising computers and installing something that has an affiliate link that goes to a bank account that we own, that's not exactly difficult to trace in terms of, you know, who's kind of responsible for the stuff. Um, I, I think it took a few, it, it took a, a while for us to kind of realize, well, this, we've, we've got to do something like with, with dead drops and using maybe vacant houses and, you know, paying somebody to go pick up mail out of a mailbox and then, then it becomes well. Then who cashes the check? We we tried to run it through as, as much as humanly possible. Then we realized this is really complicated to be a criminal um, <laughs> and get paid for it. So maybe let's just like do it for fun instead. And that's that's what we did. Well, you know the funny thing is while you were well, you, you know now he has a serious face. When you when you started talking about that, Chris was half smiling, 
Because all, 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 I'm sure all he had in his head was, ooh, this sounds like a conspiracy. I like that. Because <laughs> <laughs> you just outlined an entire conspiracy case right there, bro. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> but did you know that? Did you know that you were doing that? Like you guys working together and talking about it and planning it out, that in itself was a crime? Or is that only something you learn later in life? Oh, that, um, that is something I learned much, uh, not much later in life. Uh, it came screaming through a particular dorm room door. Um, a little later in life with the the FBI and Secret Service knocking uh, on, on that. It, it, to me, it was harmless that we were we were kind of talking about doing something because the, to at me when I was you know that young, I thought surely com- communicating about this shouldn't be illegal. Uh, that, that, that turns out to be completely and totally wrong. <laughs> well, you call it communicating. I think the government calls it planning, making plans to, to do a, further a criminal enterprise. Yes. Uh, that's where your experience <laughs> comes into play. Um, but uh, it, there was some planning there, but more often than not, it was, it would be things like, well, Hey guys, I found all of these other targets. It could be, you know, a, a really good computer with um, a, a fast network connection, for example. And it was, you guys should compromise it as well. Um, so that way you have access to it. That would be conspiracy. <laughs> Did you guys talk like that? Like you should compromise it too? Or I mean, do, was it more, uh, you know... Did you not talk like the way that it would look like in an indictment? No, I'm phrasing it in a way that that is very clear for everybody to understand. It would it would be, hey guys, you should you should drop onto this this host as well, or drop onto this machine. And it was it was very it it, it wasn't as uh, I guess clinical would be the way that I would approach it. It, it wasn't as clinical or as as legalese as I as I talk now. But I take it back to your younger days. And if someone said drop onto this computer, in my mind that doesn't sound criminal. I mean, it sounds. I mean, I don't know if it's just softening it or if, or what it is, but but. I could see where you get led down the path of, you know, I'm not doing anything. I'm just dropping onto a computer. Yeah, I would call it more normalizing kind of the criminal behavior, yeah. right? So it, to a certain degree, we didn't really think what we were doing was tremendously bad. We knew that gaining access to a computer that we didn't have rights to was a crime. We didn't understand the extent of that crime or or what a a, a criminal sentence would be having been caught but we thought as long as we weren't doing anything egregious or doing something truly nefarious like like hosting really awful material right because that was online at that time as long as we weren't the ones with the a big target on our back surely nobody's going to come looking for us so therefore uh, we'll be able to get away with it. I mean, it's almost like you're kind of like walking through the woods and you find a house and it's got a door and it's closed, but you turn the knob and you go in and look around. Um, it doesn't sound like something that bad, but you are trespassing. You are going in somebody's property that didn't want you in there. And you know, they didn't want you in there because they put a door on it. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, you're still breaking and entering. Uh, it doesn't matter whether or not the, the, the door is locked or otherwise you don't own the property. Um, and yes, you can just walk around and not touch anything, but like you're still committing a crime for sure. So you're in college, uh, you've got a group of buddies that you're kind of 
dropping on systems and kind of uh, going back and forth. And is it a competition between you guys of, of who can get like the juiciest target or, or how did it work amongst your group? So I, I guess really what happened with me was from maybe to from 14 to 18, 20, something along those lines. I was involved in those groups that were, that were, um, you know, dropping in on stuff, but I, I ended up going to a, a, a community college first before I went to the university and that's where I studied it specifically networking. And I actually kind of retracted myself from the scene for a little while. I had this life stuff, right? I was in a band, had a social life. I just, I really, I stopped being kind of a hardcore nerd for a few years. And, and then when I went back to university, I went there for network security. So uh, in that degree program, it was it was guys in an academic sense wanting to learn as much as they possibly could feverishly, uh, so much so that we we created um, a, a very large student ran security research group that was doing some really 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 cool stuff. And what's interesting is I actually wasn't really in the hacking scene when I got that that instant message on AOL Instant Messenger um, from from Hector and that is you know that is the day where it kind of pivots where i was going purely from an education sense to an applied sense and and what i mean by that is we were purposely setting up vulnerable machines in order to engage with them legally and then when i joined lolsec i was applying the concepts that i learned in in college and and earlier in a real world setting, just criminally. So you joined Lulsec because Cactor reached out to you? Yeah, yeah. I remember it was an evening. Um, and I was it was totally out of the blue. I I had just switched dorms and, and dorm roommates, and I had come back in uh, from being outside, and there was a message from Hector on on AOL Instant Messenger, and I'm going, Man, I haven't talked to this guy in years. Like, what's going on? So what was the original contact back in, back in the day before this? Like, Hector, how did you know who Recursion was and wh- where did you first hear his name? So we, we met on a, on a separate IRC network um, that, you know, ironically enough, had nothing to do with security, had nothing to do with hacking. It was just kind of a hangout place. And I, I actually joined that IRC network uh, by chance because I was bored. Without mentioning the name of that network, you know, it was a small network, Chris. Um, there was maybe 100 people together. It eventually emerged with another network later on. But the reality is, is that like, I, I just randomly joined. Um, I met the guy that ran it. And then I met Cody along the way. He was there as well. How, how the hell did you end up on that network? I know I joined it completely random, by the way. I'm trying to remember. So I, it's still currently, I'm on like 50 different IRC servers. I'm trying to remember which specific network you're you're referring to. Um, Say it, Hector, and we'll cut it out. Got okay. Yep, 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 yep. All right, now I'm following. Holy crap! Okay, so that was that's how we met, motherfucker. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, see, what I thought was it was a it was a different mutual friend. Is it's just it, it, he knew that I liked security stuff and that you like security stuff. No, we we met we met on uh, on Ian's uh, IRC network. I joined it by accident or randomly. I was bored. And then while we were there, I created Pure Elite. Or I, I brought the Pure Elite channel from, from FNet over to...
And, um, you know, Eon X gave me like ops and, you know, he was like, Hey, just be cool. Cause a lot of my clients, you know, hop on his network. Um, and so, yeah, I would just be cool with all his clients. And, and then eventually you just hopped on. I remember your name cause they used to roast you for your name, your nickname back in those days. Uh, do you remember what your nickname was back in those days? <laughs> was it TBG by chance? Nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fucking uh, the the fucking biggest gnome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a six foot four guy, and I thought it would be incredibly hilarious to be a tall gnome. So, um, what, there's actually a little bit of IRC history with that. I was in, in an IRC channel where somebody was the gnome, so somebody joined a little bit later on with the bigger gnome, and then. I, just to mess with the guys, I became the biggest gnome, and it just stuck. So that's that's how that nickname came to be. And then I've I've since I, I don't use that alias, <laughs> uh, but that was uh yeah that's a small part of my history. Oh yeah, but you know the thing is like even going back, you know, so there was a point where um, I want to take it back to our conversation on on AIM. So the conversation on AIM was interesting because. Um, this was at a time where, you know, things were heating up with LawSec, you know? And, like, to be honest with you, I probably hit you up just to kind of let you know, like, hey, if you're down for this shit, let's do it. So that's exactly your message to me. So LawSec had been in the news one or two times by this point. So the, anybody in the security industry or in the IT industry was keenly aware of what LawSec was doing. And I believe your messages that you you said to me was, hey, man, how's everything going? And I said, doing good. And he goes, and I'm pretty sure your line was, hey, I've got some pretty cool shit going down with LulzSec. You want to join? And my reply back was, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> How long did it take you to come to that conclusion of hell yeah? So I, I within seconds. Um, because I wanted to see what was going on. Like I wanted to see behind the curtain, really. That was, that was my initial intent in all of this is what the hell is Sabu up to? And my goodness, if he's, if he's doing this stuff already, uh, where is this going to go? And who else, who else are we going to fuck with? Yeah. And that was at the fucking beginning of it. You know, that was like way in the beginning, but then there was a point, there was a point where my gut instinct was like, okay. I don't think this is going to end well. There was a point where you and I had a conversation on a uh, non-ops, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know where the hell we spoke on. And I was like, dude, I think you guys need to go. I think you need to break out. And there was a point I just started telling everybody in my circle, I think it's time to go. And it became even more difficult because once Chris arrested me, this this handsome guy over here, I did not, <laughs> I did not want to impede his investigation. That would be illegal. But I also had friends like you. And I was like, I don't want this motherfucker to go down with me. So I, I was trying my best to kind of get some of you guys away from me. I'm not sure if you if you remember that, but I was like, hmm. Uh, yeah, I think you need to get the fuck away. Or uh, I know there was a point where I just stopped talking to people in general. Just so they, they could get catch the hint. I, I, not only did I pick up on that, there was a conversation. It was shortly before the Sony Pictures hack where, and, and I'm pretty sure this was, pre Chris, even that you pulled me aside and basically said, you got to be really sure that you want to go through with this because you need to be sure that you want to be involved. And I was young and impressionable and arrogant. Let's be honest. 
and I thought, no, this is this is what I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be part of this thing, whatever it may be, and 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 got committed to it. However, it was shortly after the Sony Pictures attack. That's where I started to second guess everything because I realized I got way too far out into the deep end and this is going to alter my life story. So to elaborate on that, before I joined LOSEC, I had applied to work at the NSA. And uh, in fact, the NSA recruited out of the university that I was at very, very, very heavily. So I had been out to Maryland twice. I'd been through the uh, polygraph test. I'd been through the, like, the background check, everything. And then I joined LOSEC. And I, I knew that I was throw, throwing away a, a, a career in a, 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 what I thought was going to be a pretty awesome position. And that realization came tumbling down um, very, very, very quickly um, uh, shortly after joining LOSEC and, and doing some sequel injection against, uh, pretty sure it's the Ghostbusters website. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I see. Listen, you know, in hindsight, I think about I think about all of that stuff. Trust me, I think about this stuff a lot. Less, more. I'll say less now than I, I did when I when when everything when things first like went down, and I had to make that like really hard decision. And you know, it, 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 my life became super complicated. But um, you know, like I, I just felt like such an asshole that. You know, I um, not only, you know, did that stuff, but I was doing it with, like, friends and shit. And, and, you know, like, the fact that you were involved and, like, there was a couple other friends from FNET that just wanted to be part of it. And those guys, uh, yeah, I don't want to get to this story because this story is even fucking even wackier than both of ours. But, like, you know, I felt like such an asshole that, I, I you know, that I, I felt like I, I led you guys down the wrong path, man. So I had the exact same thing with 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 my side of the stuff right so i recruited a couple of guys and altered their lives as well and there's not a day that goes by that i i don't think man uh, you know there's 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 a lot of regret with that one it's there's i've only got a, like a handful of those because i should have knew better i shouldn't yeah i should have made that decision to keep my mouth shut should have just been me and there's there's I, they still did the things right. So they had every opportunity to not, but it's still, there's some burden that I will always carry in life um, because I included folks that, that I knew. And I think that's very similar. We, I think that is a, a shared burden that we will always carry to a, a certain degree. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, I, I completely get it. And I understand your perspective and I understand your point of view, you know, and, and, um, you know, if, if I could go back in time and I, I'm not one of those back in time guys, you know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't like living with regrets, but then the big, but here is that, you know, if I could go back in time, the one major change, aside from taking down Facebook and destroying Twitter before, but I had a chance, uh, and that's a joke guys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> if I would have changed one thing, it would be, you know what? I would just take that path for myself. And it was going to happen eventually. It was going to happen regardless. I, I, by that time, by 2010, you got to remember, I've been in the scene for 15 years. 
and I've I've hacked into every possible organization and the agency and corporation and country. Um, by the time that Chris even knocked on my door, if if, if he wouldn't have gotten me for um, breaking into you know, you know during the lawsuit hacks, eventually he would have probably grabbed me for something else. Because I, even though I was very careful in my methodology, I, I still left logs here and there, and so. I would have just changed that path. I would have just been like, you know what? I'm going to stick to myself. If I have to go down this path, I would just, you know, do it dolo. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sorry you had to go through that shit, bro. Like it's, it is what it is. You I, I, can't change it. Right. The, the, my side of the thing, I don't know if I would go back and change a thing. And I know that's uh, given the chance, that's, that's a pretty tough decision. Here's, here's the reason why it's made me, a, pr- a pretty damn good security professional and I've got a kind of a kick-ass story to boot, right? There's a little bit of notoriety with, with all of that stuff. And yes, there was a, you know, I, I will never be able to possess a firearm for the rest of my life, right? Um, unless I get a presidential pardon, which I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. And I understand that that's, that's fine. But there's also the aspect where I can come back to you and say, I've I've got this, we talked about origin story a little while ago in terms of, you know, why we got into security, but I've got an origin story now that shows I used to be the bad guy. Now I'm the good guy. And here's, here's the massive amount of data to support that. And I think it's a good story to tell people. It's a, it's a fantastic story. It, I, I can't tell you how many times I'll go to a conference and I'll say, just Google my name. And people go, you're that guy? And I go, yeah, let's talk. And uh, it's, a, it's a really fascinating way to kind of get through some barriers. Now, I did, I mean, again, I, I had a timeout, right? I, I went to federal prison and all of those things and had probation and, and uh, a, some, some hiccups along the way. But it's a... It, it's a fascinating story. It's it's still something I want to write a book on for sure. And you should. I mean, there's there's one thing that and 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 granted, you're 100 percent right. Like I feel that um, you have a fantastic redemption story, you know. And that's the beautiful thing about this country that it's not so black and white. You know, you can make a mistake and you can come back from it. You know, in certain other countries, without mentioning names, there, you know, you commit a crime once and the, you know you you your social credit score is destroyed for the rest of your life. You can't really do much beyond that. And so I, I'm glad that you turned things around and I'm glad that you were able to, uh, you know, prove yourself along the way. And that's the same path I took. It wasn't easy. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, I'm glad that we could talk about this because there's one thing for me to talk about with Chris about, you know, uh, uh, people redeeming themselves. But it's another thing to, to actually live that life. And also talk with someone else that's lived that life, which is great. There's there's one other component of that that I th- I think has changed in the last ten years. I don't think I, I think back in the day the bad guys it, like everybody committed the crime and broke into stuff. Like you you talk to anybody at these security conferences, they they told you it was only a matter of time that before they got caught, they just stopped doing it when they matured a little bit. I think our group was more or less the last group there's some social ostracization some we're we're socially ostracized a little bit 
But now you look at some of the folks that do the hacks and the notoriety that it once was. The community, the, the InfoSec community, it's kind of shunned folks that use their powers for bad. And that's something that I'm very quick to, to talk to, especially when you talk to like STEM kids that are like hyper interested in security. I always tell them, you absolutely need to go down the right path because you won't work in this industry um, if, if you actually do the bad things anymore. That, that ship sailed. It did. I agree. And you know what's the major difference? When you, when you and I were around back in the days, um, there wasn't, you know, a hack the box and try hack me. And there wasn't a cloud that you could just spin a VM for like pennies on a dollar. Right. And, 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 and hack your own systems. Right. I mean, yes, we had some of that stuff in the maybe early 2000s. Um, but the reality is, bro, that in order for you to kind of, you know, learn to hack, you had to hack to learn. Um, and that's, that's something that, you know, a good friend of mine, you know, Brute Logic always says on Twitter. Uh, that's why I use it because it's such a great line and it really applied to us at that time, right? But now you don't really have to hack into anything anymore to, to kind of get that experience. I agree with you guys that people shouldn't hack and they'll probably should stay out of InfoSec and that's sort of the path where InfoSec is going where the, if you get caught hacking, you you, you know, it's going to be a, a tough road to get in. But I think that you guys are demystifying what a hacker was back in the day. You guys are, 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 you know, you're coming across, you're getting out there and you're telling your stories and you're, you're getting out there and saying, you know, yes, I used to do this, but it did build a skill set that is useful in today's society. I'm using those skills for good now um, to help these companies become more secure, to help individuals learn about their security. There's some, you know, good things that are coming out of the things you guys did bad in the past. I mean, I, I, you can't deny that. Well, absolutely. There's two components to that. There is the InfoSec community has built a framework to be able to get the people trained and and show them experience without actually committing a crime, whereas we didn't really have that framework when we were going through things. And the second component is, and I, I know this is true for you as well, Hector, every single day that we are applying our knowledge for good we're seeing change in the right direction and helping people out. And that is the most, that is the most damn rewarding thing that I have, have ever felt in terms of like profession, right? You can say you, you walk into an organization that takes security seriously. You outline all the crappy things that they're doing and all the easy ways you got in and they take it to heart and they manage to make a bunch of, changes that makes it difficult for the true real bad guys to get in and going after these bad guys is you know what it's it's a lot more fun it's a lot more fun to do it legit than it is not to do it legit <laughs> well yeah i mean I, I would love to hear more about the kind of work that you're doing especially offline you know in my case i think that uh what I what I really like, and this might sound like such a nerd thing to say, all right? So just bear with me, guys. But I actually like helping my clients out. You know, nerd. Like I actually, nerd. Yeah. That's nerdy. Nerd. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, believe it or not, I, I actually like doing a debrief. I like I like doing an internal red team, and I like you know finding some some good attack paths, 
And then sitting there on a call with them and helping them understand what the hell happened, how I how I, I was able to escalate privileges, why you know uh, the certificate they they you know deployed two months ago uh, allowed me to get domain admin, right? Um, and then I love to see them fix it. To to be honest with you, like I feel like I'm part of 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 you know the success of the security program. Now, what I don't like is when I'm doing a <laughs> when I'm doing an internal engagement or or, or engagement in general. And I'm getting back very little results because at that point, I'm like, okay, you guys are mature. That's great. You have a mature security program. Fantastic. But, you know, it's the fact that I have no results is kind of defeating in a way, in a a good way. But, yeah, I kind of like that stuff. I don't know. So one of the one of the things when people ask me, like, what is a you know, what does an engagement feel like or what is what is a penetration? What is it from a non-technical standpoint? And I always tell people it's the most complex puzzle that doesn't have a solution that you'll ever encounter in your entire life. And it can either be incredibly frustrating or incredibly rewarding. I want to be successful, meaning I want to find a way in. And when I can't, that's incredibly frustrating. But it means good things for the, for the client that I'm working for. It's just incredibly frustrating for me because I want to be successful, right? There's a little bit of that arrogance coming back through again. Can we go back to one question about LulzSec real quick? Hector, you mentioned that uh, this isn't going to end well, was your quote. What does end well look like for a hacking crew? Is is there an end well? No, there is no end well. There's, there's, uh, the, the, I would say the situation that I felt was going to happen was people were going to go down. I was going to get arrested. And, you know, it wasn't until LulzSec itself started going away from because you got to remember, when LOSEC started, we were doing the Arab Spring, right? That was our big emphasis. But once we started hitting U.S. assets, I was like, okay, I think things are about to get very, very worse for all of us here. I mean, things are already bad because, you know, there's a certain paranoia that comes with hacking. That comes with being a black hat, right? Uh, but now it's like, okay, I think the feds might be on to me. You know, I think I might have a Chris knock on my door today. Cody, do you think there's a there's a good ending to a hacking crew? I th- I think um, no, I, I, unless you're state sponsored, um, and then even then it's still a little a little risky. Um, you're certainly not going to have the, the guys from Russia visit the United States and get arrested on purpose or anything. But like, if if another group came out that was like Lulsec two, for example, and did did the same things that we did and thought that they could get away with it, not even get away with it, but that it would end without them going to prison. It, there's no good ending. And I, I knew that. No crew is ever going to just wrap it up and be done. They're going to burn bright and they're going to burn fast and they're going to be arrested. It depends, right? So for a low sec, there was nowhere to go except for going down. You couldn't have walked away? You really didn't th- don't think Lulzsec could have walked away at one point? I don't. Uh, by the time... I mean, yeah, just from my involvement in this, as soon as, as soon as I... As soon as I gave the information back over to the group that I was responsible for, for, for my portion of the attack, I knew that moment, even if I backed out, somebody's knocking on my door. I, I know it. And because of how big Lulsec was at that point, I knew the book was going to get thrown at us. Oh, yeah. 
hundred percent. Well, once we started hitting federal contractors, that's when things went. Uh, that's when reality started to like sink in. Like, okay, we're we're definitely going to go down. There's no way we're going to walk away from this. I myself, I had my own beef with federal contractors, and I also had my own beef with the, with the security industry. Microsoft was really just, you know, uh, not only dealing with the, the knock on the door, but I, I think I went too far. That's 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 keeping it real with you. Uh, and once you start thinking about, okay, I think I went too far, and I'm thinking about like my girls. I'm thinking about Cody over here. Like, you know, did I really fucking lead him down this path that he didn't really need to go through? And so for me, it was it was a lot of pressure on me. And in a way, Cody, and I'm not sure if you heard me say this before. I've said it before. But one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life was was meeting Chris. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. and I'm not I'm not saying that because he's here with us. I'm not saying that because he's my friend. But I felt so fucking relieved. Okay, like okay, it's finally over. I don't have to live in paranoia. I don't have to live with this constant stress on my shoulders and my heart and my chest. Now I can start dealing with the consequences of this. You know, I, I used to see people say that or hear people say that, like motivational speakers, for example. I'm sure you've heard one or two in your life. Oh, yeah. And they kind of have their own redemption stories, right? And I'll be honest with you, at one point in my life, I, I thought it was BS until it happened to me. I didn't become like a born-again Christian, but I, I, I became, uh, you know, I became Hector again. And I started to realize that Hector's not that bad of a person. You know, maybe it's time to shed Sabo. So that's why I'm glad I met Chris. So you and Chris actually got the the privilege to to hang out. My um, I haven't had a chance to talk to my counterpart at the at the bureau since since all this happened. I can only imagine some of the kind of the wonderful conversations, and I know from your side, Hector, that you've probably had with Chris in terms of like just kind of understanding all of that. But the but the the component that you said that. I can relate to as well is that burden gets lifted off of your shoulders after you know you've been caught. Right. And you don't, it's done. You're now you're just along for the ride, right? You're going to put some work in, in terms of, you know, the, the charges and the the court and all that stuff, but you got to, you finally have to take a back seat because when the, when the government tells you to jump, you have to ask how high and boy, do you have to be in very specific places at very specific times <laughs> and, and, and all that. No, I mean, every person I've ever arrested is, is, it felt like it, on, for them, it felt like a relief. Like the secret's out. I don't have to keep the secret. Somebody else knows my secret. I have a person here. I can, you know, if I wanted to, I could share that secret with, and it, it's, it's that that has to be, you know, a little bit of of a relief to to the person. There's a t- tremendous amount of pressure that gets released with that, and yeah, it's very very difficult to describe. <laughs> I think you have to live it to know it. I mean, I I've no, I don't know that same pressure. I can only imagine. And but um, I know Cody that you didn't have as positive an experience going through the system uh, with the FBI. I apologize for that. Um, you don't have I to mean, apologize. I don't think. Well, no, I do. I mean, I, I I represent that organization for a long time. I still put myself out there as part of that, having a history with that organization. So, you know, I apologize that that, that your experience wasn't wasn't pleasant. You know, I know there's probably some that's controversial, probably to say in my world, uh, the FBI. You know, um, there's probably a lot of FBI agents out there that says you shouldn't apologize to someone. They they're the arrestee. They did what's wrong. But I, I don't think. 
you know, some of the stuff that, that the way you were treated was probably the best. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I mean, we, we won't go into more detail than that. The only thing that I will say is, is that we, there's no bad blood between myself and the, the feds. And in fact, um, one of the things that I've done since being out is giving presentations to not only InfraGuard, but the FBI agents that are interested. Anytime that they wanted to listen to my story or wanted more information, I would absolutely talk about it because at the end of the day, they were doing their job. I understand that it was probably a pretty, um, that day was probably pretty stressful. Um, but that being said, there's, there's no, there's no harm. I'm still, I'm fine. I'm, like literally no, no physical harm or anything along those lines. So, uh, it's just, it is what it is. We moved on from there and I'm glad that I can help educate kind of on the, on the, the, the back end of it. Cody, if people want to reach out to you and hear more about the story, where can they get a hold of you? Yep. So, um, if you want to get a hold of me on Twitter, it's at Cody Kretzinger and then also Cody Kretzinger.com. Well, Cody, we appreciate you joining Hacker in the Fed today. Um, I know when Hector reached out to me and said, you know, that that you'd come on, I was thrilled. Um, I think it's great. Um, I think it's great that uh, you have such a great attitude um, towards the whole whole life experience and how you've grown from, you know, maybe making some mistakes in your youth and becoming a security professional these days. I, I really think it's great that the, your attitude towards wanting others to kind of not follow that same path and learn from the lessons that you learned. And, you know, uh, I, I think it's good that, uh, you know, you've got Hector as a friend. I think it's good now you and I can uh, be friends. I'm, I look forward to hearing from you. And if you reach out to me and need anything, i more than happy to help in any way I can. Absolutely. Guys, I cannot express how utterly excited I was to talk to you. We only scratched the surface of, I think, a little bit of the low sex stuff. But I, I really want to to sincerely say thank you for first allowing me to, to even come on and to talk about all the things that we were able to talk about. It was an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you, Hector, in in the flesh, if you will, and Chris meeting you because this is this is I'll talk about this for days because this was such a great experience. Um, so I, I want to give you a, a huge shout. Thank you so much for allowing me to uh, to talk here. That is awesome. Perfect. All right, Hector. Uh, another great episode of Hacker in the Fed. New episodes every Thursday. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers, brother. Cheers. 